0: This is The Great Escape Podcast, episode 13. We are going for liftoff in T minus 30. All systems are
1: available. And so, you know, it, it took a lot of really hard looks in the mirror and asking very difficult questions and uh, having to be honest with myself.
0: On today's episode, we have Joel Horbaker, whose website, reallifeleading.com. Uh, as usual, we'll put all websites we reference in the show notes. And Joel's story of blended family life, step-parenting, creating that whole new life uh, really has been something of an inspiration uh, to me, considering some of my story. Joel, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thank you very much for having me on. I'm excited about being here this morning.
0: You're really, really welcome. (laughs) Now, for Joel, it's horrifically early in the morning over in Alabama, (laughs) um, whereas for me, it's middle of the day on a Friday pouring down with rain outside because it's england and that's what it does in the summer in england and um so joel let's let's dive right in you were in this situation where life was pretty tricky tell us a bit about that
1: (laughs) yeah so uh about 10 years ago um i had um i'd gone through a decent amount of um Difficulty within a pretty short period of time. My uh, my dad had passed away actually eleven years ago earlier this month, and uh, within about a year and a half of dad passing away, um, I went through a divorce, a separation for six months, then a divorce. Uh, had a job change around the same time, and then within a year of that, uh, went through bankruptcy and foreclosure on the house that I had bought as part of being married. Um, didn't have custody of my kids. My ex wife had. Had primary placement, so I got to see my kids about every other weekend, and then any time in between that she would let me come over and stop by and see them. And uh, it was it was pretty dark. It was a pretty rough time. Um, I we had been married for eight and a half years. We had two little daughters together at the time. We um, at the time we split up, the girls were maybe I think five and two, or four and two, five and you know five and three, something like that. And so it was just a, it was a a hard spot to be in. That was, you know, I was in my late twenties, mid to late twenties, and that was not at all where I had envisioned myself being by my mid to late twenties. I thought I had everything figured out. You know, I had the wife, I had a job, had kids, everything was going well. And then within about a two, two and a half year period, uh, everything kind of fell off a cliff. And, uh, and so, um, that was, yeah, that was where life was, um, about, 11 years ago, okay. uh, 10, 11 years ago.
0: And you, you had to decide that life had to be different. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, you, you wake up in the morning and, um, so for me, it was waking up in a house that I had bought for my wife and kids and they didn't live there anymore. And I was only able to stay there for a couple months after we had split up, uh, because I couldn't afford it. So I ended up again at you know, I was 20, I guess 27, 28, and I was living in my best friend's parents' basement for about a month while I tried to find a new place to live. And you, you wake up in a situation like that, and you think, okay, what on earth did I do to get me here? Yeah. Um, because it's it's very easy to um, blame other people. It's very easy to blame situation outside, you know, circumstances outside our control. And sometimes that's valid. Um, I've never I've never talked with anyone who's divorced who felt like everything was 100% only one person's fault. If you're honest with yourself, if you've been through a divorce, both parties have at least some responsibility. And it was the same way. There were certainly things that she did that I wasn't a fan of, but I can't change that. All I can do is control me. Um, and that was something that I really had to deal with. And so there were a lot of mornings just looking in the mirror and saying, okay, what did what did we do wrong? What can we do differently moving forward? Because this right here, this life – this is not where we want to be. Um, this is not who we want to be. This is not how we want life to be. What can we change? And um, and so you know, it, it took a lot of really hard looks in the mirror and asking very difficult questions and uh, having to be honest with myself. What did you do to get yourself here? And the answer was, I had become very, very self-centered. Okay. Um, I you know, and that's that was the biggest. I, I hate to put it in um, these kind of terms because it sounds vague or nebulous, but the truth is the single biggest problem I had was just pride. It was ego. Uh, it was needing to prove myself right or prove myself to be the authority in every situation within my home. And uh, that was with my kids. That was with my wife. That was at my job as a high school teacher. And um, you know, none of those things, none of that was helpful. It made me feel good to prove that I was right in the short term. But when I looked at the consequences of that, you know, that was the big, that was the big aha moment is when I realized that the major culprit in my situation was ego.
0: Yeah. Okay. And that's a huge step for, especially for a man to take is, is to realize that it's your ego that's getting in the way of stuff. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, and again, it wasn't something that was uh, voluntary. Sometimes that uh, the fact that my ego was a problem, sometimes that was pointed out to me by other people. And I didn't really want to hear that. Sometimes it was pointed out less than gently, which also wasn't fun. But, you know, when you've been doing the same thing for eight or 10 years in a marriage, sometimes people have to do or say drastic things to get your attention. Absolutely. And that's kind of, you know, that's kind of what it took. And Um, and It was a...
0: Okay how how did you sorry how did you come to understand that this was it was possible to change this?
1: Well, um, it was actually really empowering to look in the mirror and ask myself the question, "What did I do?" Because once I've taken responsibility, that means I also have the power to change it. Yeah. Um, as long as I'm blaming someone else for my problems, as long as I'm blaming my ex-wife or blaming my kids or blaming the world. Or blaming, you know, whatever else I want to blame, as long as I'm blaming them, I'm still powerless. Once I took responsibility for my situation, now I can move forward. Once I realize the problem is me, or at least part of the problem is me, that's what I can deal with. Um, I had a <laughs> I actually had a really good conversation with my ex-wife's dad at one point. I was angry about something. And he and I still have a good relationship, even now, you know, 10, 12 years, however long it's been since then. Um, but I had a good conversation with him. I was at his house. I was angry about something. I'm venting about his daughter and I'm saying, I just wish she would do this. And he looked at me very seriously. He said, Joel, if you couldn't, if you couldn't get her to do what you wanted her to do when you were married, what on earth makes you think you could change her now? And it was almost like a cold bucket of water being dumped on my head. And I thought that's kind of rude, but you know, he's entirely right. So the problem isn't her regardless of her actions or decisions. And I'm, I'm not here to badmouth my ex-wife. That's not something we do. Um, regardless of her decisions, I can't change that. All I can change is me. And again, that became very empowering. That became the first step in changing things because once I realized I was the problem, now I can work on me to fix it. Yep. And if pride is the problem, then the answer to that or the solution to that is humility. Right, because to me, those two things are opposites. Um, uh, and I wrote, actually wrote a book about this uh, in terms of leadership that got published or that I published last year. Uh, and so the way that I define humility in that book is I, I borrow the, the definition of humility from C.S. Lewis, who in Mere Christianity said that pride um, is, uh, he actually has a whole chapter that's called The Great Sin, right? Because pride is just a very self-centered state of mind. That's all it is. It's just, it's looking at me first and wanting what I want and, you know, the heck with the consequences and everybody else. Um, Humility, I love his definition for it. He says, humility isn't pretending that you're bad at something when you're good at it. Humility is simply, uh, it's not not saying that you're less. It's not saying that you're bad. He says, humility isn't thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less often. It's simply a self-forgetfulness. And I thought that is brilliant. Because if my problem is self-centeredness, then the solution is becoming others-centered. So now the question becomes, if I'm going to move forward, how do I actually enact that in my life? How do I take better care of my kids? And even though my ex-wife and I are now divorced, how do I make decisions that aren't about me, they're about us? Not about trying to get back together with her at that point, but how do I, because I, you know, I made a commitment to her. I was going to take, her, take care of her and the kids. Even though we're not married anymore, they're still our kids. I yeah. need to take care of them. How do I do that well in a way that isn't self-centered? Well, that means I've got to be willing to go out of my way. I've got to be willing to do things that are inconvenient for me. I've got to be willing to do things that on the surface, they might not feel fair. They might not be fair. That doesn't matter. The point is take care of my kids and, and take care of my kids much more gently than I did when they were younger. Because that's one of the, the big legitimate gripes that she had with me in our marriage is that I was just very harsh with our kids. I wasn't abusive. Um, I don't want listeners to get the wrong idea, but I was very strict and very stern because that's the way I had been raised. My, both my dad and my mom were military veterans. My dad was a 20-year U.S. Army veteran, and he had a very strict kind of obedience thing. And my mom was much the same way. And so that was just how I thought kids were raised. And the problem with that is I had two little girls with very tender hearts. And I was being overly harsh with them in the way that I spoke to them. Again, I wasn't insulting. I didn't call them names, but I was very strict. And these girls were little toddly type kids. Yeah. And when I look back at that, it just, I mean, it makes me it makes me cry sometimes to look back and think, man, I really did hurt their little baby feelings without trying to. And and again, I was trying to do it well. I was trying to raise them to be good, obedient, respectful, whatever man, but the way I went about it was all wrong. And um, it took losing them for me to realize how harsh I had been with them. Because when you only get to see your kids two or three days out of every 14, you want it to be as great as it can be. Not because you give them candy and let them stay up late, but because you want to have a better relationship with them. Um, fortunately, that situation changed uh, after a couple years, the custody situation changed. And so I guess for the last 6 or 7 years now the kids have been going back and forth, a week with we and a week with their mom. And I've, you know, I've got a much better relationship with both my daughters and I'm really thankful for that because today they're not little. My yeah. older one is 15. She's driving. She's got a car or she wants, you know, she she wants a car. She's working her first job. She's interested in dating. And if there's ever a time when I need to have a good relationship with my daughter, it is when she is a teenager. You know, my other one's twelve. She's about to be a teenager. Oh man, I need to have a good relationship with my daughters. And that started, you know, eight or ten years ago when I realized that I had been really harsh with them. Um, at this point, my ex wife has been remarried now for five and a half years. She and her new husband, uh, I say new five and a half years, um, she and her second husband have a son together. Um, I've been remarried for five years. My wife and I, we don't have any kids. We've got two giant dogs. Um and so that means my girls now have a little brother at, mm-hmm. at their mom's house and we don't call him stepbrother. We don't call him half brother. Like we don't do it. He's just their little brother. And, um, and so now we have this situation where uh, I, and this is kind of what I do is uh, outside of being a high school teacher and a soccer coach, you know, I talk about and I work with blended families because we've been very blessed. I feel like God's been really good to us. We have a wonderful situation to where all four parents can get together and have a, a great conversation, which is actually what we did with our 15 year old about a month ago. Uh, I mentioned she wanted, she wants, she's interested in starting to date. And so we had a giant conference at a local restaurant where all four parents and our 15 year old sat down and talked for over two hours about what are our parameters for dating going to be. And then I was talking with someone else about that and they said, you guys did what? I said, what, we, We got together and we had a big conversation. Is that a big deal? We've been doing that for years. And they looked at me like, you realize that most divorced couples don't do that, right? I guess. But I don't understand why not. Because they're your kids together. And now there are step parents involved. So they're also their kids. So we all need to be on the same page. I don't, you know, this isn't complicated. Like we're all adults. Let's do this together. But apparently what we do is pretty unusual. And so that's something I'm really interested in helping other people figure out how to do better. How to do that.
0: I, a quick story of my own there. At my mm-hmm. second marriage, I had a stepdaughter. And uh, one day she was, I think, 17. And this kid comes walking up the garden, the driveway. I was actually mm-hmm. sitting on the front porch of the house sharpening a chainsaw. You should have seen his face.
1: <laughs> See, that sounds like a story straight out of Alabama. That is Normally it's a shotgun, but that yeah. is fantastic.
0: It wasn't planned that way, but just...
1: I, it, well, it's, it's good because if it's planned that way it doesn't come over it doesn't go over that well i've heard mm-hmm. um and the problem for me is you can't tell because we're we're recording and i'm sitting down or whatever um i'm not very big i am five foot three i don't know how that translates in in the uk it's uh, not, but it's it, not very many feet centimeters. inches work
0: here Yeah, know it's it's yeah. okay
1: good all right yeah so i'm not i'm not a big dude i'm not a scary guy but we live in a very small town And pretty much every guy that my daughter's interested in, I've known them for years. Or any guy that's interested in my daughter, I know their family or I know some of their family friends. And so that helps a lot. Um, But yeah, that like the story of, you know, you come up and you come to meet the dad. and He's sitting there and he's cleaning out a shotgun and he's got a shovel sitting next to it. And that's a pretty common trope over here. I don't think it would work for me. I think it would just come across as trying too hard because I'm kind of a, a small guy.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I'm six and well read... over
0: two hundred pounds, yes.
1: There you yeah. go. See, that works a lot better. My best friend is that way. He's he's about six four, six five, probably two fifty. He used to be a bouncer in a bar. So I'm just gonna have him come over when go. my daughter's boy, you know, that kinda uh, this is her uncle David. You should say hi. Yeah. Um, Feel free we, to we've leave got now. Two, that's right. We've got two giant uh sixty you know, sixty five pound dogs that would love for you to come in and greet them and yeah. But no, it you know, it, it's one of those situations where um I'm really thankful because um, my, go- my daughter's stepdad and I both have very similar views about being very protective of our kids. Um, and, and I'm very thankful for that. He and I have a good relationship. Um, you know, my, my wife and my ex-wife and, and the, the two of us, we really do all try to get along really well and we try to be on the same page. So when we had that meeting about our daughter, we sat down and we had a checklist of everything we wanted to make sure we talked about. And we, um, we, you know, we had some disagreement about it, but it was very, it was respectful and amicable and that was good. Um, And then we also made sure to get our daughter's opinion because at 15 years old, we either need to make sure we know how she feels or she's going to ignore us anyway. You know, if we don't take her opinion into account, then she's just going to, she's going to go off and do what she wants to do. Yeah. Yeah. So we really tried to do that as well. And again, it wasn't easy to get here. Uh, it took, a, again, it took a lot of soul searching, took a lot of praying. Um, uh, it, it took a lot of grace from each side. Um, and I'm, I'm really thankful because I do, I feel like um, what, what I had to do personally was I really had to apply the gospel in my life. I really had to, I really had to um, ask how I needed to be a different person. And the answer that I got was, you need to stop making it all about you and you need to realize how much your selfishness is harming the people around you. And once that message was hammered home, uh, that really changed the way that I thought because uh, once it's not about me, my reaction in every situation is going to be different. Because now when my daughter does something she's not supposed to, I don't take it as a personal insult. She wasn't trying to be rude. She wasn't trying to be disrespectful. She was just being a 13 or 14 year old kid. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well that so that means my my reaction doesn't have to be loud and explosive and angry. My reaction can be calm and quiet and gentle. And that means I'm gonna have a better relationship with her moving forward too. And it I wish it hadn't taken so much pain to um to figure that out. You know, but I, I think better so late ma- than never, I guess. Yeah,
0: for so many of us sometimes it has to be horrifically painful before we start listening to the to the message. And that you you yeah. kind of answered the third question. You know, what what was it that got you to the point where you believed you could make this change? You know, so you've you've thought about it. You've understood what needs to happen, right. and and somehow yeah. you get to get to the point where you think, no, I can actually do this.
1: Right. Yeah. And for me, that was a that was a huge spiritual opening and awakening for me. Uh, I, I was raised in church. I've gone to church all my life. I went to a Presbyterian college. Um, I am. I. I I'm a believer. I'm a Christian and I'm pretty outspoken about it. Um, But especially in the States, there's a stigma within Christianity where when you go through divorce, you get looked at kind of funny because the the belief is if you get divorced, maybe you weren't as spiritual as you thought. Maybe you weren't. You know what I mean? And I understand that because divorce isn't how God designed it. Okay, well, I understand that, too. Um, But it happened and now we've got to deal with it moving forward and what what really helped me was having a great support system i have uh you know have a great pastor and i have some very good close christian friends who came along beside me and said listen you screwed up and you screwed up big but we still love you and we want to help you get your life back on track we want to help you learn how to make better decisions Um, and those people were immensely helpful to me um, because without that kind of support system without that kind of encouragement it becomes really hard to do anything on your own that's another thing i wrote in my book is that any great leader needs to acknowledge the people that helped get where you are no great leader has ever done anything important 100 on your own nobody we don't ever do anything great on our own and again that's if we think we have that's just pride and now we're right back where we started <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know? absolutely
0: and i think it's interesting uh, from a um I was gonna say from a non-christian perspective Mm-hmm. I spent many years in the church I grew up in a church house mm-hmm. uh, my dad was well, was a vicar uh, was you know okay. led led a, a church and mm-hmm. yeah and for most of my adult life I had faith was involved in church leadership and now I I don't you know I lost my faith mm-hmm. that's a whole different discussion we don't need to go there right now but I think I, st- <laughs> I still agree with you that actually one of the biggest things that can help somebody make change mm-hmm. is community, uh, right. people around you who will speak truth gently. Yep.
1: Uh, mm-hmm. you know, yes, tr- speak the truth in love. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Um, yeah. You know, whether that's in a church context or not, and I know, you know, right. you know just from the statistics, there, the culturally, the USA is much more Christian than I think the UK and the rest mm-hmm. of Europe are in many ways, um, and careful not to make any value judgment there because there's good right. and bad in every community. Um, right. But I think it your, your point about there being a need for community, for a need absolutely. for being in relationship with other people is, is absolutely and, key.
1: and Yeah, and healthy community yeah. because you can have community with people that aren't actually doing you any good. Oh, and yeah. it may be fun, but it's – so, yeah, no, I think you're exactly right. They, you need some sort of positive, uh, encouraging, inspiring, uplifting, however you want to put it. Uh, you're exactly right. You need some sort of community. You need some sort of group um, that can help you. They can hold you accountable, like you mentioned. They can speak truth to you gently, but in a way that you will understand it. Um, and that's extremely important as well. Yeah. Yeah,
0: and I think in modern life we we're very connected. You know, we're always on our phone sending messages to people, but we're not actually connecting yeah. in a heart-to-heart sense. And and absolutely. Uh, yeah. yeah.
1: And that's a big, that's actually a huge problem with young people. I'm a, I'm a high school teacher. So I teach 14 to 18 year olds. That's my day job. Um, and there's so many reports and studies and statistics out now that show that this generation is more digitally connected than anybody's ever been. But they're also more prone to loneliness and uh, suicidal thoughts or social anxiety because they don't know how to be around people yeah. without interacting through a screen. Um, and I you know, it makes me, it makes me concerned for that, that whole generation, because if they grow up not knowing how to be around people, what happens when they need that community? What happens when there's a crisis and the only place they know to go is to their Instagram. You know what I mean? That makes me sad for them. And that's and where so we've that's, seen
0: those tragedies around these young people. So you know, yeah. should I, should I take my own life? And you know, yeah, 70% yeah, don't of the response. Yeah. Don't ever ask a stupid- right, Yeah.
1: D- right. Don't, don't ever ask that question on social media. Like, because yeah. the people a lot of the people there don't don't care about you as well as they should. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. and that's so it, it's and that's a whole different discussion too that I have with my students all the time about the difference between real life and digital life and you know, my one of my major crusades as a teacher is put down the screen, pick up a book. Yeah. Just you know, and Just that's that's something that, that Yeah.
0: So coming back to to your story, sorry we digressed. It's so easy <laughs> to end up spending 2 hours <laughs> building a podcast that doesn't say anything. <laughs> you've you've spoken about um, you knew what had to change, and a lot of it was around mm-hmm. your own attitude and and the way you right. thought about the, the way the world was. You'd got a group of people around you who were helping you to to make that mm-hmm. change, and obviously, you know, making a change like that is not simple. You're unlearning right. huge amounts of right. habitual behaviour and yep. you know, years of the way it's been done. So. Right. Please don't tell me this was a nice linear.
1: (laughs) I would love to tell you that it'd be the biggest lie I've told so far today at 629 in the morning um, over here. No, it was not linear at all. In fact, there are still bumps in the road. Um, Even just this past spring, I realized that I had started to slip back into old habits in terms of being selfish um, toward um, toward my daughter's. Um, I, uh, I had kind of a wake up call a couple months ago where my older daughter wrote me, um, a letter in which she expressed a decent amount of displeasure and, uh, with some of the choices that I was making in our relationship, whether it was, um, not listening to her or making her feel unimportant or making her feel like her opinion didn't matter. And I didn't realize I'd been doing those things, but she felt those things very, very strongly and um you know so it's very easy to slip back into old habits especially when things get comfortable we think oh good okay it's fixed i'm good it's a never ending process that's what i've learned um and so that you know getting that letter was really hard uh, it wasn't fun to read it was actually one of the one of the more difficult things i've had to do in the past few years but at the same time um it was really eye opening and it was very good for me to realize okay, the relationship I have with my daughter, it's not where it needs to be. What can I do differently to try to fix that? And the answer was the same as before. It was stop talking about yourself so much. It was stop disregarding your daughter's answers when you ask her questions. You ask her a question, she answers you, and you say, no, that's not how it's going to be. Well, there's a better way to do that. There's a better way to approach that relationship. And you know, part of it was just she's 14, 15 years old, and she's trying to spread her wings. Part of it was she was exactly right in terms of me not treating her as if she had as much value as as I should have. And again, um, that's that's part of the process of learning how to parent a fifteen year old. She's different now than when she was twelve, and when she was twelve, she's different when she was then she when she was eight. And as they get older, I have to change my approach. And I hadn't changed my approach to her in a couple of years. I was still treating her a little bit like a little kid, mm-hmm. and she didn't like that. And that's understandable. So no, it certainly was not a linear progress from Joel was terrible to, you know, Joel is the greatest. It was much more just slow incremental movements, continually hitting bumps, but maybe the bumps are getting a little smaller or maybe the bumps change shape. And so they're different bumps. Um, you know, but it's, it's different than what it was. Uh, and it's always going to be a process and it's, it's even more complicated because again, in our world, there's four parents, not just two. Yeah. Um. And so it's not a competition, but it is a different context. Obviously, like the four parents, if we're, if we're working together, we're not in competition. We're not trying to be the best parent. We're not trying to be the cool parent. We're working together as the parents. But it is different with four parents because the context is different because it's not just me. It's my daughter has a father and she has a stepfather who in a lot of ways are very different people. And yeah. so that means yeah. that part of my approach needs to be shaped by that you know, or at least I need to take that into account. So it is just, it's very complicated and it's certainly not linear, but it is, um, it is a never ending process of self-evaluation and okay, how do I move forward with humility and grace and that kind of stuff.
0: And you keep going around that kind of feedback loop, what worked, Mm -hmm.
1: what didn't work. Yep. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Yep. And always a challenge.
1: (laughs) Yes. It is. And you know, I thought I'd be more prepared for it because I've been teaching teenagers for my daughter's whole life. I've been a high school dad just finished my 13th year teaching. I'm starting my 14th year in about a month. And I thought, okay, I've been working with teenagers for 14 years, 13 years. I I know them pretty well. It's different when they're in your home. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's what I found out. Teaching them for an hour and a half a day, coaching them on a soccer field, that's very different than having one in my house. It's very different than trying to raise one. So. That was a good lesson, again, because it was pride, it was ego. I thought, I know teenagers, I've worked with them for years, and the reality was, you don't know them, not the way you think you do. So that was a good, you know, kind of a humbling moment there. Okay, awesome, way to go.
0: Yeah, my three sons are all over 21 now, and um, Mm. it's still new challenges. (laughs) At least I I can say, you know what, guys, you're adults, you can do this yourself.
1: (laughs) But I, that's right. I'm here to help, but this is really, this is your, your gig your now. Thing.
0: Yeah. And I get a phone call the other day, dad. Yeah. Where are you? Yeah. <laughs> Why? My car's broken down. It's yeah. Right. yeah. I'm 200 miles away. Yep. There's nothing I can do right now. Yeah. Yep. I've, I, yep. Sorry. But hey, that's parenting for you. And then I, you know, the other day it I is. was talking with my dad, who mm-hmm. you know, is a elderly gentleman. and. <laughs> We, we were having this conversation. About, yeah, I realize I still call you when I'm trying to work out how to fix something. Yeah. So it never ends.
1: Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's exactly it. So Yeah, my dad passed away, like I mentioned, uh, just over 11 years ago. Uh, but very rare is there a week where I don't think I'd like to talk with dad about that. Mm hmm you know, it's been over a decade, but that, because that's kind of how we're hardwired is when we have problems, we go to the person that used to answer or that we at least thought had all the answers. Yeah. Even if they didn't, you know, even if they didn't. And that's one of the, you know, that's one of the really hard lessons about parenting that I've learned is not only do I not have all the answers, that's okay. Yeah. So, so this it's okay that I don't have all the answers.
0: This thought to all those teenagers who listen to this podcast, all none of you um yeah. <laughs> appreciate your parents while they're around because you will miss them when they're gone
1: you will and they'll get smarter as you get older oh yeah once you hit about tw- once you get about 20 your parents will start to become intelligent again whatever happened between your age 13 and 18 that made them dumb that goes away yeah so he, you know he said that there Joel, that's, that's an amazing story. <laughs>
0: really, really, really delightful to speak with you and to hear just a little bit about uh, your journey. And if you're looking for more information on Joel, there's some great videos and resources on real... Hang on. No, it's Real Life Leading. Sorry, I read it wrong there mm-hmm. for a moment. Uh, <laughs> dot .com. We will put uh, links to that and to his book in the show notes. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you and a truly inspirational uh, story there, Joel. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I've had a great time and uh, I'd love to hear from any of your listeners who this story resonated with or, um, you know, just encourage them. Um, I'd love to answer questions, shoot me an email, find me on social media, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn or whatever. And I'd love to, I'd love to chat. I'd love to continue this conversation. Thank you again for having me on.
0: Joel, thank you so much for getting up so early to talk to us. As always, if this episode has touched you in some way, please do like it, uh, share it with uh, friends, with other people you know who you think will appreciate Joel's story. And if you'd like to get in touch, please do. Please let me know what you think of the podcast. If you know somebody who you think would be a great interviewee, if you've got a great story, please email me at Stuart at com or Twitter at Stuart L. Morris, Instagram at Stuart L. Morris. And if you want to listen to older episodes, please do. You'll find them on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and at the website greatescapepodcasts.com forward slash episodes. Looking forward to talking to you next time.